0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service. Thank you to Amber for our prelude music. It sounded great, even though she had to add an extra song in there that she wasn't prepared for <laughs> because they were downstairs longer. Our theme this week is, uh, we chose based on Pastor Glenn's notes, are On God's Sovereignty, which is always an awesome theme to sing on, and also one of one of, there's many, but one of the great events in um, Christian history, which is the conversion of Paul. So let's stand and sing together. The song we're going to start off with is Surprise, Surprise, Sovereign. <laughs> It's me.
1: Good morning. Thank you for that beautiful music. It was good to hear. And what beautiful weather we have. Uh, Spring is here. I've got good memories of going out and puddling in the, making trenches through the yard and fighting with my brother out in the mud and all that kind of stuff. So I was thinking of all you mothers out there that got kids this time of year. It's probably going to be messy. But it was a lot of fun. Another thing too, I'm so glad to see Don Peters here. I've got good, uh, good friendship. Uh, he was one of the gentlemen that introduced me to this country and uh, he had a lot of influence in his church years ago. He was a counselor uh, for, the to- for the RM for a long time. And it's just good to see you back, Don. And uh, I got one, I'm going to tell you a memory here. Uh, 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 As you know, Gary Lowen, some of you know Gary. Anyway, he, he was building buildings for clingers at one time. And somehow or another he was building this building and it had to have certain colors on the corners of this building. And, and he wanted somebody to paint all these pieces for this large building. So he approached Don, and it was a big job. Do you remember that, Don? <laughs> we, we spread this stuff all over the country. We had him over at Klinger's shop. We had him in Don's shop. We had him in, I think, uh, sh- uh, Jim Hope's yard. And we went around and sprayed all these. First job I ever did with Don, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was kind of a crazy job because we're out there breathing all this stuff, and, and, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And Don, and Don, you were a big influence in my life in this community, so I thank you for that. So it's good to have you here. Our call to worship this morning, uh, shall we read that together? The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i hear the lord is my defense in my life whom shall i dread wait for the lord be strong and let your heart take courage yes wait for the lord shall we pray heavenly father thank you that we can come here and gather in in freedom uh, without the masks and without the restrictions and all that stuff it's just so good to be here together and i just pray that you'll Bless his service and open our hearts and minds to what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Scripture reading this morning. Is found in the book of Acts chapter 9 verses 1 to 22. So Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 to 22. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that, if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who were traveling with Saul stood up speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, They brought him into Damascus and he was three days without sight and he neither ate nor drank now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision Ananias and he said here I am Lord and the Lord said to him get up and go to the street called straight And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Uh, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he is with the disciples who were in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim, Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not He who came in Jerusalem, destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus. Is the Christ?
3: Thanks, Brad, for that scripture reading this morning. And thanks, Rod, for that trip down memory lane this morning. great to be here. Let's just take the time to uh, bow in prayer and ask God to open our hearts and minds to what his word is saying to us through this, through us, to us, through his word this morning. So let's pray. It's your word to us, Lord, always relevant, always speaking to us. Your word contains timeless truths that are for all people of all time. And so, Lord, help us to... See what this passage is saying and what it means for us in our time, in our community, in our lives, in our families, and uh, in our world. Help me, Lord, to speak it as it needs to be spoken, that you would be in a real way the, the one speaking this morning, and I would just be your your vessel, your mouthpiece. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times when uh something happens in your life, you meet someone, you experience something, and it just changes you. It changes your life. One person shared his experience. He said, I cracked my neck a few weeks back, and it changed my life. I, I, I haven't looked back since. Is that what they call a dad joke? Is that what that is? <laughs> I missed that, I'm deaf. Probably a good thing I missed it. (laughs) On a more serious side, uh, a woman named Gail uh, related the following story of an experience that changed her life. Uh, It was a rainy, humid day, mother of all bad hair days. (laughs) And she says, I was riding on a bus downtown to go to work. Everyone was wilting. I was sitting next to a man in a business suit and didn't pay him much attention until we both got off at the same stop and we walked to the same newsstand to get a paper. The man standing at the stand, or running the stand, was obviously among those having a bad day. He was rude, uh, abrupt, and unsmiling as we purchased our papers, which served only to add to the gloom of my day. Uh, The businessman caught my eye and smiled. And then he proceeded to smile even more brightly, thank the newsstand proprietor for the paper and for being open on that kind of a morning to make sure we were able to get our papers. In short, he expressed appreciation for something that most of us would just take for granted. The man running the newsstand responded with a grunt and a sour expression, and the businessman then pleasantly wished him a pleasant day. As we turned away, I asked this man why he continued to be pleasant to the newsman when obviously he didn't care and didn't respond to his expression of appreciation and friendliness. The businessman grinned at me and he said, Why would I let someone else control what I say and what I feel or what kind of a day I'm going to have? And she went on and said, I never saw that businessman again, even though I looked for him on the bus on other days. He appeared briefly in my life and disappeared just as quickly. I don't even remember what he looked like, but I've never forgotten his words. Or the way he smiled. It seemed like just such a shaft of bright light on a gloomy day. That was 25 years ago, she said. But the impact that this had on my life has lasted. I never had a chance to thank him personally, but the way in which I choose to look at life as a result of these words and his legacy, to me and my thanks to him, it changed her. Inspirational as that story might be, it pales in comparison to the story we come to today. It's a story of one of the most profound life-changing experiences ever. In fact, this life-changing event changed not only this person's life, but some have said that this event profoundly affected the course of history itself. And they wouldn't be wrong in saying that. It's a story related in the book of Acts, in the passage that was just read for us. It's a passage we come to today in our series through the book of Acts. It's a story of a very zealous and almost radical Pharisee named Saul, And his conversion to Christianity. And it came about because of a very profound experience that came to him. It was a divine, miraculous experience and it changed his life. And that change affected the history of the world. We were first introduced to this man back in chapter 7, verse 58, if you remember. Remember. From a few weeks back, we looked at the account of the stoning of Stephen. We saw that those doing the stoning, they laid their robes at the feet of this young man named Saul while they did their dirty work of stoning Stephen. And then chapter 8, verse 1 to 3 tells us that this man named Saul was in hearty agreement with getting Stephen stoned to death. And after Stephen's death, this Saul unleashed an intense persecution against the Christians there in Jerusalem. So much so that those Christians scattered out of Jerusalem to escape it. We learn from other passages of the New Testament that this Saul was a Pharisee and it seems he may have in fact been part of the Sanhedrin or the Jewish ruling council. That's what we know about Saul up until this point. Chapter 9 brings us, brings the focus back to back to this Saul. We Chapter 8 kind of took a break and we focused on, on uh, Stephen and Philip. Chapter 9 brings us the focus back to this man named Saul and relates the story of his experience that resulted in a complete 180 degree turnaround for him. And that's the path we want to look at today. So first of all, let's go through the story so we all get a good picture of what happened. And then we'll look at the application that comes out of the story uh, for us today. So, first of all, let's go through the story. In the passing of time, apparently it wasn't enough for Saul just to persecute the Christians in Jerusalem. He felt the need to go after the Christians in the neighboring cities as well. And so, he armed himself with letters from the high priest addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, apparently commanding, or at least recommending to the synagogue leaders there to cooperate with Saul in identifying and arresting the Christians there. And off Saul went to Damascus. Damascus was a city north of Jerusalem in, in Syria. It's about 150 miles away, uh, depending which route you would take. If Saul and his companions, and he, he would have had companions with him. and If Saul and his companions uh, were traveling by foot, probably would have taken them a couple of weeks to get there, give or take. Just by the way here, I'll throw this in. We have in the book of Acts three accounts of this story. The one here in Acts chapter 9. And then in Acts chapter 22. Paul tells this story of his conversion as part of his defense to the crowd at Jerusalem. When they were arresting him there. And then again in Acts chapter 26. When Paul was being tried before King Agrippa. uh, Paul told this story again. So we have three accounts of this story in the book of Acts. And we're not going to take the time to go through all three stories, but they are all a little bit different. Uh, Paul emphasized different things to different people, depending on who his audience was. He would emphasize different things about this story. So it's an interesting comparison, and I encourage you sometime to read all three, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Uh, today we're just going to look at this Acts 9 passage. Verse 3 and following. As they were approaching Damascus, so they're getting close to the city. They've been traveling for a while. They were getting close to the city, maybe even with sight, within sight. I don't know. But they were approaching Damascus, and very suddenly and very unexpectedly, a bright, blinding light from heaven flashed all around them. And Saul fell to the ground, and he heard a voice speaking to him. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's interesting. Whoever this was speaking to Saul was taking Saul's actions against the Christians very personally. Why are you persecuting me? And so Paul answered, Who are you, Lord? And Paul was being very or Saul was being very respectful here. He didn't know who he was talking to at this point, but whoever it was, he addressed him very respectfully as Lord. And that's understandable, given the situation. You'd want to be careful how you address this voice in this person speaking. And the voice answered back, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And from other passages in the New Testament, we learn that Saul, at this point, actually did see the risen Jesus as well. He did see a vision of the risen Jesus. And then Jesus gave him some instructions. Jesus said, get up, go into the city, wait It'll be told to you what to do. And those traveling with Saul were dumbfounded. They were rendered speechless. They heard a voice, but they didn't see anything. And it's likely that even though they heard a voice, they didn't understand what the voice said. So Saul got up, and he realized he's blind. (laughs) He opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. The light had blinded him. So his companions led him into the city and he stayed there, it says, for three days. And during that time, during those three days, he didn't eat or drink anything. Three days of thinking about what happened. Three days of pondering what it meant. Three days of, of thinking through the implications. Well, that must have been quite the three days. We're told in verse 11 that he was staying at the house of a man named Judas on Straight Street. By the way, that street is still there if you go to Damascus. It's the old Roman road that runs from east to west right through the city. It's called Straight Street, and I think it's still called Straight Street to this day. So Saul was waiting there. While he's waiting there, Jesus appeared to a disciple that was in Damascus named Ananias. And Jesus, in this vision, gave Ananias the instructions to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and inquire for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Tarsus was, of course, Saul's birthplace. That's where he was born, uh, in the province of Cilicia. Uh, born and raised there for a little while until he was old enough, and then he went to Jerusalem to be educated under the rabbi Gamaliel. That's all things we learn from other passages in the Bible. But he was born in Tarsus, so he was called Saul of Tarsus. Go to the house of Judas to see this Saul. He's there. He's praying. And then Saul has seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that his eyesight would be restored. So that's what Jesus told Ananias in this vision. Well, Ananias was none too happy about it. None too happy about those instructions. And so he argued with Jesus. He said, isn't Saul the guy who has done this huge amount of harm to the Christians of Jerusalem? Isn't he the one we hear about who is here now with letters from the high priest Intending to arrest and bind up all the Christians here? Ananias didn't want to go anywhere near Saul. But Jesus insisted. Telling Ananias that Saul was in fact a chosen vessel of his. Jesus had chosen him to bear his name to the Gentiles and to kings and to the sons of Israel. Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. So Jesus wasn't sugarcoating anything in giving this mission to Saul. It was going to include a lot of suffering. And so Ananias went and did what Jesus asked him to do. He laid hands on Saul, obviously prayed for him, told him that Jesus, the same Jesus who had appeared to him on the road, uh, had sent him so he could regain his sight and that he had received the Holy Spirit. And immediately it says something like scales fell off his eyes and he could see. And then Saul was baptized Presumably by Ananias himself. And for the first time in three days, he had something to eat and drink. For the next few days, he hung out there at Damascus with the disciples there. And it says, immediately he went to the synagogues and preached to them that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah or the Christ. He was the Son of God, he is the Son of God. What a turnaround! His original mission was to go to the synagogues and arrest the Christians. Or at least find out who they were and arrest them. Instead, he goes to the synagogue and tells them that the Christians are right. Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God and the Messiah. Total turnaround for Saul. And it says in verse 21 that those who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the guy that came to destroy the Christians? And says... Saul kept on teaching and preaching and getting stronger in his faith and stronger in his theology all the time. And the Jews who refused to accept the teaching that Jesus had risen from the dead and was the Messiah, they were confounded. They couldn't answer. They couldn't cope with the strength of Paul's or Saul's arguments and Saul's teaching. You see, Paul had an up, if you like over other new Christians who don't have a background in the Bible and in Bible teaching and the one true God. Paul was highly educated in the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them well. He knew well the prophecies about the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah was what the Jews were waiting for and longing for and hoping for. But like the vast majority of Pharisees, they wore spiritual blinders when it came to the prophecies of the Messiah. They had a picture in their mind of what Messiah would be like and what he would do, and Jesus was not anything like that picture. So when Jesus claimed he was the Messiah, and his disciples preached his resurrection to confirm that, the Pharisees couldn't, or, or wouldn't, accept that, or see that. But now, when Saul realized that, Jesus is in fact risen from the dead and is now glorified in heaven. And as such, he had to be the Messiah. And as Saul began to think that through and look at the Old Testament teaching and prophecies in that light, it would have become clear to him pretty quickly. And because of his vast knowledge of the Old Testament, and now that he could look at what it said and taught and prophesied in this new and in this correct light, uh, He would have quickly realized the profound truth of it all. And would have been able to argue it quite convincingly. And so that's what he did there in the synagogues of of Damascus. So that's the story of Saul's conversion. And as I said, there are some things for us here to learn. We as Christians can learn from the story of Saul's conversion. And the study of the lessons that come out of this story here in this passage will help us to learn that. So, first lesson that I see here, there's a lesson on the sovereignty of God. A lesson on the sovereignty of God. What struck me as I was preparing this, was how this whole thing was orchestrated by God. This whole thing was orchestrated by God. Jesus Christ was the one that pulled this off. Saul was obsessed with going after the Christians. He had no use for them. He had no use for this Jesus, who they claimed rose from the dead, and they worshipped. He was out to shut the whole thing down. And then, out of the blue, totally unexpectedly, Jesus himself confronts Saul there on the outskirts of Damascus. Jesus stopped him cold with that blinding light. Jesus spoke to Saul and asked him a very pointed question. That made him look at the whole thing differently. And apparently allowed Saul to actually see him in his risen form. The question was, why are you persecuting me? Saul's actions were against the Christians, yes. But in reality, Jesus was the one being persecuted. We're going to come back to that in the second point. But, But Jesus, he had been crucified, he was dead. Or so Saul believed. Yeah, the Christians claim he rose from the dead, but that was impossible. They were deluded. They were preaching lies and heresies and blasphemies, and they needed to be put to death. That was Saul's viewpoint up until this moment. But now the risen Jesus stops him in his tracks, and Saul sees him and hears Jesus ask him, Why are you persecuting me? So he is alive. And he's accusing Saul of actually persecuting him. Hmm. What I wanted to see, Jesus himself did this. He stopped Saul with a light and with a question. And then it was Jesus who told Saul to go to the city of Damascus and wait for further instructions. It was Jesus who appeared to Ananias and told him to go to Saul and lay his hands on him. And pray over him so he would regain his sight. This whole thing was orchestrated by Jesus himself. And that speaks to the sovereignty of God. He at this moment in time chose to intervene in a powerful way in Saul's life. And bring about his conversion. Jesus told his disciples back in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. That he would build his church. And that's something I need to remind myself of very often. He will do it. He will build his church. He will do what is necessary to make that happen. And so he brought about the conversion of Saul. And his reason for doing that is given to us there in chapter 9 and verse 15. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. God was going to use Saul to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles and to kings and to the sons of Israel. And frankly, that's what most of the rest of the book of Acts is about. Saul, who became known as Paul, became likely the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He brought the gospel message to the Gentile world. It is through Paul's preaching that the gospel, that Christianity spread throughout much of the Roman Empire. It was through Paul's ministry that the gospel message got to Europe. It all started here on this Damascus road where Jesus stopped this man Saul in his tracks and powerfully convinced him of who he was and caused him to see the truth. And called this man Saul to be his apostle to the Gentiles that would result in the gospel spreading throughout much of the world as I said earlier this event not only changed Saul's life (laughs) this event powerfully affected the history of the world as it was what got Christianity spread to the world friends God is sovereign he will bring about the building of his church he always has he always will Of course, he uses us as his disciples, but he orchestrates events and connections and relationships. He opens minds and hearts and convicts people of the truth as we share the gospel. He will build his church. We need to remember that. God is sovereign. There's a lesson here about God's sovereignty. He will build his church. We need to be faithful. In praying for the people he brings into our lives. And in sharing the gospel with them as he gives us opportunities. But he will do the work of opening eyes and convicting hearts. This is a lesson I need to remind myself of often. I sometimes, at least in my head, mentally take more on myself than I should. And feel if I did this better. Or if I would do something different here. Maybe more people would come to Christ. It sometimes becomes in my head, I need to build the church. But Jesus said he will build his church. He is sovereign. He will do it. It's a lesson we need to learn. Secondly, there's a lesson here on how Jesus identifies with his disciples. How Jesus identifies with his disciples. I find it quite telling. Uh, That when Jesus stopped Saul on the road, he asked him this question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the Christians? He didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my disciples? It was, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's actions, though they're directed they were directed at the Christians, was a persecution that in reality was a direct persecution of Jesus himself. Jesus felt that very keenly. And thus the question. It was a powerful question. It made Paul stop and rethink everything. He wasn't persecuting Christians. He was persecuting Jesus Christ himself. And it stands to reason. Because, in a very real and powerful way, when we become Christians, we become part of the body of Christ. We are taught throughout the New Testament that we as Christians are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. We as Christians are the body. So, there is a very real and powerful connection between Jesus and his disciples, us as Christians. So, when a Christian is being persecuted, Yes, Jesus will feel that very keenly. That's his body. Part of his body is suffering. He'll feel that. In a very real way, he is being persecuted. He is suffering when that happens. And I think we would do well to remember this. Jesus said, we will face persecution. It may well happen to us more and more as time goes on. But don't think or imagine when and if it happens that Jesus is detached from that. That he's just kind of watching from the outside, encouraging us to hang in there. This seems to tell me that Jesus is experiencing the persecution right along with us. Every blow you take, Jesus feels it. Every insult you endure, Jesus hears it, and it cuts him just as much as it cuts you. Every abuse you take, he is being abused with you, feeling everything to the same extent with you. You're part of his body. I think just knowing that brings comfort and strength to endure. If and when that time comes for us to face persecution like this, it's something I think we need to remember. Remember? Jesus has taken it with us. He bears every insult. He feels every rejection. He takes every blow. And together we can endure the persecution and stand strong. There's a great lesson here on how Jesus identifies with his disciples. Thirdly, there's a lesson on the need to come alongside a new believer. A lesson on the need to come alongside a new believer. We've already seen that Jesus was the one who acted sovereignly to bring about Saul's conversion. But in doing that, it's also obvious that Jesus uses people to do what he wants done. And so, in this process of Saul converting to becoming a disciple of Jesus, Jesus also came upon or called upon this man named Ananias. Ananias, at Jesus' direction, came alongside Paul or Saul. And helped him through those first steps and first days of his conversion. He came to Saul. He prayed with Saul for a site to be returned. Likely Ananias who baptized Saul. It was likely Ananias who brought Saul to the other Christians in Damascus. And introduced him. And vouched for him in his conversion. They would have been very leery about this Saul. And rightly so. Suspicious of him in his conversion. Ananias was likely the one to help them through that. And the lesson here for us is that new Christians need someone to come alongside them. I think we would all know that. (laughs) And hopefully do that. So I'm not speaking anything new here that you don't already know. This just reinforces that. Things can feel pretty scary for a new Christian. Everything is unfamiliar. While they get used to the whole new way of thinking and of seeing things with a new perspective. They may not have many friends or acquaintances in the Christian world. So God calls us as Christians to come alongside a new believer. Take them under our wing. Pray with them. Introduce them to the family of God. Help them get used to a new way of seeing things. New way of thinking. We see here in this story the role Ananias played here in Saul's conversion. That role Ananias played was also under the guidance of Jesus Christ. And so it should be for us. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit so that we will know when the Spirit is directing us to take some action as far as coming alongside someone who needs someone to come alongside them. Let's be Christians that are quick to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to come alongside a new believer. and all of us here would be. You know. But Let's just be encouraged by this to always be quick to do it. And that's another lesson that comes out of this passage. So therefore we see from this passage of Saul's conversion the lessons that come out that we can learn from. There's a lesson, first of all, in the sovereignty of God. Jesus did this. Jesus will build his church. Secondly, we see a lesson on how Jesus identifies with his disciples. Persecuting a Christian is persecuting Jesus himself. And he feels it very keenly. And thirdly, there's a lesson on the need to come alongside a new believer. New believers need someone to walk with them in those first initial stages especially. And that needs to be guided by the Holy Spirit as well. The conversion of Saul was an incredible, miraculous event. It changed Saul's life completely. It affected the history of the world, the entire world. Now, most conversions are not like this. This is one of those things that we see in the book of Acts, where God does some amazing, miraculous things to get his church up and going. Uh, They're kind of one-offs. Yeah, there have been other conversions that have been amazing and miraculous as well. But this is not the usual. However, the lessons that come from this story are real and for all time. Jesus will build his church. We just need to do what he's called us to do. That is those people that are in our circle of acquaintances that we travel in. That God has put there for a reason. and we be faithful in praying them and relating them with them in such a way that will point them to Jesus and then as he gives us opportunity to share the gospel with them. We need to be faithful in doing that. If and when we are persecuted, we can gain strength to endure and encouragement to go through it by just knowing Jesus is experiencing it right along with us. And then let's be quick to come alongside a new believer. Let's take our time of silence again and Just give you a moment in the silence to to just open your heart to what Jesus is saying to you personally through this passage. I'll just give you a few moments. Amen. Music, campus.
0: Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat> See you see